It's so, so good to be here and to preach on Easter Sunday. What a privilege it is for me. It is that day. The tomb is empty. We can woo! rejoice because life has conquered death. I think that needs a woo. Come on. Yeah! Jesus has done it. And then we can all eat our Easter eggs. It's great news. Um, who, who polished off all their Easter eggs this afternoon? Anybody? No? Who's already eaten them today? Hands in the air. You all don't like chocolate? There's no, no, never mind. Maybe one or two. Did anybody give up chocolate for Lent? No one. Gosh, you guys. Did we just not do it anymore? Never mind. Well, I was wondering, why do we give chocolate eggs at Easter? And I've got a little theory, and I know that you might be thinking about, you know, you might have some ideas. And some, some may say um, we have eggs because it symbolizes new life. You know, it's spring, there's a resurrection, so there's kind of new things. There's little chicks, and they're so cute, and oh, it's all new. Um, and some, some might say, maybe if you're sort of from an academic or historical perspective, uh, you might say, well, the reason that we give eggs is because there was a season where during Lent people wouldn't eat eggs and because they were sort of quite precious and it was kind of like a holding back thing. And then at Easter, because they were quite valuable, they would give those eggs to other people. It's kind of like a sort of historic um, kind of Lenten attached to Easter sort of thing. So you might say that. Cynics might say we, we, share, we share chocolate eggs because big Corporations want us to buy chocolate and spend thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds. Um, in fact, this morning we saw the stats: 200 million pounds or Easter eggs. 200 million pounds, pounds spent on Easter eggs every year. Over 200 million pounds. Anyway, so cynics might say that. Maybe, maybe that's some of us here. Um, but I'd like to think that actually the reason we give Easter eggs is something slightly different. And it's a little bit cheesy, so forgive me. Um, but I was thinking about when else do we give chocolate? And it is February the 14th, Valentine's Day. We give chocolate. And it's Valentine's Day is the, is the day of love, right? And so I think that love and chocolate go together. Maybe there's something about this. I mean, 100%. You know, I've definitely given my wife chocolate a lot of times over the years. It works. Um, <laughs> and, but you know what? The truth is, Easter is about love. It's all for love, is what it says on the screen. Um, and I don't know about you, I've noticed around Bristol more and more uh, it's saying Jesus loves you. And I don't know who's doing it, but someone is going around like graffitiing and little, little tags of Jesus loves you, putting stickers on lampposts. I'm not condoning any of this. Um, or on the M4, you can see a massive barn that's been painted, Jesus loves you, off you're on the way to London. Look out for it. It's on the left if you're going that way. Um, that's great. And I was just, you know, I, I see it and I'm like, Oh, I'm so encouraged that like, Jesus loves me. But I wonder, what, does, what do other people think of this? What do, they, what do they think it means that Jesus loves you? Well, on Easter, we have demonstrated to us the perfect example of love and God's love for us. And I'd love to talk about that today and what that means. We've, we've had our amazing Bible reading, but I love in John 3, 16 to 17, it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You see, all that we celebrate, 
over Holy Week that's just gone, and Easter today is down to God's love. We rejoice because of God's love for us. And in the passage that uh, Hattie read to us, we see what happened on that first Easter Sunday, the day that the tomb was found empty. And it's this moment in history, the most important moment in for, for Christians, this sort of thing that sort of all of humanity hinges on. It's this act of supreme, sacrificial, saving love that God became man and died for us to save the world. He sacrificed himself. God became human. He became flesh. See, God's love is a sacrificial love. And you might have missed it, but around this time last year, there was a story in the news that hit me really hard just reading it. On the 24th of April, a young man seeing a woman fall into the Thames from London Bridge. Jimmy, Jimmy Olubni, I'm going to get it right. Jimmy Olub, Olubunmi Adewoli, I had it perfect in the practice, sorry, dived into the water to save her. He saw this woman fall in and he dived in with his friend and, and the woman survived. But Jimmy sadly died. He gave his life to save another. And the news rippled across the country. It, was, it went viral. People were, were just sort of compelled by this act of selfless, sacrificial love for a stranger. Jimmy might not have known that he would die doing it, but he must have known the risk. His father at his funeral called him a hero. He is a hero. And for someone um, he didn't even know. You know, we don't know Jimmy's motives of why he did it, but I'm blown away by his example, this example of a sacrificial love, the giving of oneself for another. Uh, in, the, in the Bible, they use this word in the Greek that means, it means sort of a preferential choosing of the other person. It's called agape love. It's a type of love where we put the other person first. You see, in Ro Romans 5, verse 6 to 7, it says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person some might possibly, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, Jesus didn't come to save holy people or perfect people or those who have it all together like Toby and Hattie. Um, but he came to save a wretch like me. So often we think, well, what have I done to deserve love? Why, why would God love me? We feel like we need something, a redeeming quality within us that God wants to love. But, you know, it's not about our nature that God loves us. It's about his nature. God is love. And he loves his children, each and every one of us. And when we reject him, he doesn't turn away. He runs towards us. He embraces us. He seeks us out. You see, there's a brokenness to all creation. As much as there is beauty within it, things are not as they should be in our world. It's quite easy to see that. There's hurting, pain, struggle. And we have estranged ourselves from God in so many ways, yet God has made a way for us to have a relationship with him. He's made a way for us to know him. And the way he did that 
is through this act of dying and being resurrected. You know, he sacrificed himself so that we would know him, that we would be forgiven, and that we would have eternal life. Because God's love is a forgiving love. You know, we've done, uh, we've all done things that we wish we hadn't, that sort of brokenness within ourselves. We can feel it, whether we meant to or not. We've all done bad things, things that have hurt others or even ourselves. And the Bible calls this sin, things that have gone wrong. We all do them. And these things, they damage our relationships with each other, and they damage our relationship with God. Yet the message of the cross is that God forgives us for those things. I heard, I heard a sort of a story, a sort of um, something to help us get our heads around what this means. And um, I, it was a story of this judge. And this judge is sitting in his courtroom. And he's kind of, he's dealing with the sort of day-to-day things of these sort of, uh, I don't know, these these kind of crimes that have been committed. And he just kind of, it's sort of a sentencing hearing. You know, he's kind of the judge and he decides the sentence. And, um, and he's, you know, he goes through and there's a parking fine here and, I don't know, some theft. And then all of a sudden, his son walks in and sits in front of him. And he's, he's committed a crime. He, he was speeding in a, in a really dangerous way. And, you know, he's got points on his license or whatever it is. But actually, it was a criminal offense how badly he was doing. And he was going to be fined 500 pounds. Um, but his son has no money. And so if he can't pay the 500 pounds, then he's got to go to, for a time in jail. And so the judge is standing there and he's thinking, well, what do I do? You know, he's, he's committed the crime. I can't just let him off. Like, he, there's, there's something that needs to be done here. There needs to be justice. And so he, so he says to his son, I'm sorry, you are guilty, and you're going to have to pay 500 pounds, or you're going to have to go to jail. And in that, that was the, the sort of the gavel came down. And, um, but as the gavel comes down, he rips off his cloak and he takes off his wig and he puts it down and he runs to his son and he gets out his checkbook and he writes 500 pounds and he gives it to him. And he says, there is mercy upon you. You have no debt. Go free. It's kind of like that. The cost of the, cost of the things that we've done wrong are born by God. He carries the weight. You know, we often hear about God being judgmental. And what we see in Jesus is that God is a merciful judge. His judgment is mercy. It's forgiveness. You see, death and sin are related. Sin leads to death. Yet Jesus was without sin. He did nothing wrong. Instead, he took our sin and took it to the cross, and it died there. And he overcame death and was resurrected, leaving our sin on the cross. And this is what Good Friday is all about, to wipe that slate clean, to bring total forgiveness, to restore relationship with the one who knows us by name, who created us. You see, sin impedes our relationship with God, yet Jesus carries that to the cross the cost of the broken relationship has been paid. There is a curtain in the temple in Jerusalem that symbolically separated the people from God. And in the moment that Jesus died, the temple curtain was torn from top to bottom. 
You know, Jesus doesn't hold your past against you. He wants to forgive you and enable you to forgive others. God's love is a forgiving love. But it's also a love that overcomes death. And if Friday's cross forgives our past, then Sunday's empty tomb impacts our future. You know, we're all going to die. It's, it's the ultimate statistic. One in one people die. What happens when we die? It feels final. It looks final. Well, in verse 1, we see the women, they entered the tomb expecting the worst, to have to prepare the body of their person that they put all of their hopes in. And they must have been feeling rubbish. Like, they must have been feeling awful. Could, I can't even imagine it. Well, I mean, we've, maybe most of us have experienced death, and there's something of that. But I, the, I just can't imagine what they would have been feeling. Having that time from Good Friday to Easter Sunday, this time of waiting, of confusion, of not knowing, of seeing their hopes dashed. Yet, in that moment of darkness, where Mary and the women are there, it, the, the words to them, are why do you look for the living amongst the dead? There's almost a sense of sort of surprise in the air. It's like when things are the most dark, this beam of light comes in. And just as sin and death are linked, love and life are linked. You know, in God's love, we see new life, resurrection out of death, victory from defeat. You know, it could be easy to trivialize this. You know, everyone loves a comeback story, right? Um, or maybe even think that this is exaggerated. And actually, you know, it's not really necessary to believe in this to be a Christian or, you know, it's just this story. But the hope of humanity and all creation is found in whether Jesus did or didn't rise from the dead. If he didn't, then Jesus was just human and death is final. Death has won. But if he did, it means the end of life is not the end. There will be new life, a day when all death is no more, eternal life. You know, to the casual observer, the cross looked like a tragedy, a defeat. But in the resurrection, tragedy is turned to triumph, death defeated, the king is alive. And there is a sort of a misconception about faith, about Jesus, about Christianity that says, if you do good things, you go to heaven. And if you do bad things, you go somewhere else. Well, what we see here is a story that's a bit different. It's a story of resurrection. And later we see in the Bible, in Revelation, that there will be a day of resurrection where all things are made new. Easter was a cosmic shift. All things were changed and renewed at that moment. It's not just a religious event that we know in our hearts. It's bigger than that. It affects all creation. So how do we respond to that this morning? Well, it's all for love. It's all about love. And God's love for us is like a gift. It's like a box of chocolates ready to eat. We just have to receive it. 
and we can receive forgiveness for our past, hope for our future of eternal life, and freedom for now, right now. And we just have to ask for it. So why don't we do that? Why don't we close our eyes? And I'm going to say a short prayer that just asks God for his love. Ask God um, for that gift of love. Why not say it with me in your heart as I pray, if you'd like to? Let's close our eyes for a minute. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything that I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.